Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to Ask OTC, the show where we answer all your questions from the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. I'm still Larsie Watson. Yeah, this from Lord Bensner. Remember him, Lars? <laughs> how do you... Very fan- good reference. I like it. Indeed. Uh, Nicholas, how do you fancy Norway's chances of qualifying for the Euros? If you don't, how has it gone wrong with a team that has a spine of Horland, Erdegaard and Sander Berge? Something about you, yeah. No, uh, our chances are not amazing at the moment, though that's not just because of us. It's because of the sort of sudden success of Scotland in this group that has really messed things up for us. Uh, and we, you know, if you look at the games we played, the only, yeah, the defeat at home to Scotland was incredibly bad for us. And then there's also the issue of the fact that we dropped points against Georgia. So so, so we're not, yeah, we're it's, it's it's frustrating. You, obviously, we have the headline acts are good. You know, Alan Hall and Martin Odegaard. We have a few in the supporting cast. You know, Felix Ausnes at Benfica is doing really well there. But we've had issues at the back for a long time. You know, Estigal and Slanberg is not a good defensive duo. We've had issues at goalkeeping. I mean, I weirdly, as I earlier this autumn, I spent a week in, in Tbilisi. And uh, by complete coincidence, me and some friends, we shared an elevator with a member of Georgia's backroom staff uh, who happened to be at a hotel where we'd been a few days before they were going to play Norway. So they were just about to fly off and play Norway. And we thought maybe we can get some intel out of this man. He's, he's a kit man or an analyst or whatever he is. So we tried to have some banter uh, with this Georgian gentleman in the elevator, which proved challenging. But we thought, yeah, we're from Norway. Yes, you know, it's good luck in the game and stuff. Um, and we tried to talk about the team. And we were like, oh, Georgia, very good. You know, Kvaraskelia, very, very good. And then we talked about Norway. Erdogan, good. Oh, sorry, I'm slapping the microphone there. Erdogan, very good. And then we suggested, our defense, not so good. And he was like, yes. And we were like, our goalkeeper, not good. And he did a big sort of face and was like, yes, we know. <laughs> so the, the Georgians had analyzed the Norwegian team and had seen Mr. Nulon in goal as a, as a weak spot here. No, but but this has been the reality of while we've had the goal, while we've had Holland, there have been positions where we've just been really weak. And it's something I've gone through now in the process of writing the book because there is a chapter on, you know, why hasn't Holland... The book on Erling Holland. My, my book on Erling Holland, yeah. There is a chapter on why Norway hasn't been at these tournaments because I think casual readers will wonder why have we not seen this guy at a tournament. And it's funny how many, like, crucial, pivotal games where we've played... Like, oh, yeah, Nilon was in goal when he didn't have a club. Like, we had an unemployed guy in goal, which is not good. There was another game where our left-back also was without a club. So there have been positions 
Like we had this chat on OTC this week about Germany, how they're incredibly strong in some positions and in other positions there's just no one. It's that times 10 for the Norwegian squad. So we, we need to find a center half somewhere. We, we, we could do with being stronger at certain other positions. And we could do with Scotland not being so so good. I mean, that that's really messed things up for us. I can't us. help you on the last one. Yeah. Uh, Norway over New Scotland. Mm. Uh, having said that, though, Andy, this uh, question from Takim, which countries do you feel have their Euro 2024 hopes in jeopardy? Italy, despite being champions, they're still struggling to even qualify. Yeah, I mean, being in England's group, uh, again, going back to Lars's point, I, I think is, is, is something that's in, important in that. Um, obviously, the exit of Roberto Mancini has, has, has left them in a, a bit of a spot. I mean, he had significant reservations and exasperations about the players of, available to him as well, which he made very clear in, in, in his... His, his, his last couple of months in, in charge, although there might have been other reasons for him leaving as well. Um, but Italy have got a comfort blanket of uh, the, the the Nations League because they if, if they weren't to make the top two, they're getting a playoff anyway. Now, obviously, with what happened in <laughs> what happened in a recent playoff with North Macedonia, that might bring them into a cold sweat, especially with what happened to them when they played in um, North Macedonia in the qualifier before last. It has been tough for Spalletti because he's come in and he's, he's been playing massive games like from the off, which I think is, is a lot to ask from a new coach. So away in North Macedonia on a pitch that me and my mates would have turned our nose up at in the 80s. And then at home to Ukraine where they just, had to win and you look at the way they started that game David Davide Fratesi scored a couple of great goals and they looked great at the start and then once Ukraine got into it Italy started to get really really nervous far more nervous than they they probably needed to because I think there was an understanding of of how big the stakes were but yeah I think that that bit of backup definitely helps them the the, the biggest issue in terms of teams that I think might might miss it. Poland are the one. They've, they've got to be mm. the one. I, I look at Poland and Sweden. Um, they're, they're the ones uh, amongst the, the regular tournament qualifiers that you really fret about. Now, of course, with Poland, uh, they lost and lost badly in Albania last time out, in which Albania were excellent, by the way. You do, you do have to say that. But talking of, again, what Lars was saying before about having this world-class striker who's slightly beholden to the the players around him. Um, I, I don't feel like Poland are particularly deep at the moment. I mean, Fernando Santos ended up um, getting the chop for that um, result in, in Albania. I, I mean, he what been in charge half a dozen games and they've binned him all, already. Um, so it's clear it's, it's, it's panic stations at the, at the Polish FA. But I, I think they've probably left themselves a bit too much to do and they're looking really poor, Nick. So this from Jordan. Are Leverkusen a genuine title challenger this year? Their recruitment's been great. Mm. They're currently top of the Bundesliga yep. with six wins and one draw. <clears throat> Can they sustain it throughout the season? I think it's possible. It, 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 
it always you know, it, it comes back to my favorite saying here, Dot not about you. And I I always I, I overuse this saying, but I haven't been on for a few months, so I can bring it out. Which is you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun the other campers. Uh, so in this sort of thing, the question is, <laughs> it, it's actually if we're talking about. This is good. You don't have to outswim the shark. You just have to outswim your sister. No, let's stick with the bears. There's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of these. Yeah, let's stick with the bears. You don't have to outrun the tiger. You just have to outrun the other zookeepers. But um, the biggest advert is what I want. But the point is, it really, that question always depends on what buy and do, right? Because yeah. with the resources they have and the squad they have, if, if Tuchel makes it work, they can just run away with it in a way that no team in the Bundesliga can really compete with. But there have been some slightly iffy moments from Bayern so far. And some signs, yeah, they've dropped a couple of points. And and, and what Leverkusen are doing is profoundly impressive. And it's, it's clear, I know Leverkusen fans won't enjoy that the conversation always pivots in that direction. But, you know, Xavi Alonso looks like a Real Madrid manager in waiting. I mean, the way he's gone in. Because I remember when he took over, there were a lot of exciting players in that group, but they were a mess defensively. So he had to make them, they had one of the worst defensive records, at least the underlying numbers were super bad when, when he came in. So he had to build from the back and make them solid, and, and which he did throughout the course of last season. And now what we're seeing this season is that they're starting to play really good football as well. And and they like like the question uh, said, they, they've, they've recruited smartly. I mean, Grimaldo is a great wing back they've brought in, and Schalke has brought a bit of experience to that midfield. It, it's exciting, and they're they're one of the best teams in Europe to watch. So if you're at a loose end when the club football comes back, you haven't watched Leverkusen yet, you should try uh, to uh, do so. D- d- does their um, position in the league depend on, or at least their aspirations to become champions, does it depend upon whether Bayern go far in the Champions League or not? I don't, I don't know if it does, actually. I, I, I would say... The, the biggest we know Bayern can compete on both fronts the thing is for them what can they do in January can they go and get themselves a defensive midfielder that Thomas Tuchel mm. likes you know th- that that is the question that that world class number six that they've been going on and on and on about for <laughs> yeah, absolutely but... ages because that defence at the moment is an Achilles heel I think you look at them in those opening two Champions League matches against a very ordinary Man United who scored three goals at Allianz Arena and Copenhagen who took the lead against them and looked like they were going to close out at least a point against them so I, I think that's that's a bit of an issue for them I think what's remarkable about Leverkusen this season under Alonso is as, as Lars says they've, they've sorted it out in the back they don't look soft anymore and mm. I, I think you look at that last game against uh, Köln where Köln are looking at that thinking look this, this is a derby we can pull something out of the bag even though we've had a bad start to the season and Leverkusen, without really getting into third gear that often, just like brush them off. And, you know, they've got the players to do that. So not only do we see that great combination play between Hoffman, Wirtz, um, Victor Boniface, who's been unbelievable since he's Former arrived. Former Bodo man, Victor Boniface. There we go. Norwegian League, that's where you recruit people. That's it. Uh, uh, but I think it's, it's the fact that they've still got what they had before which is that they're absolutely phenomenal on the break. You know, they've got Jeremy Frimpong who can get up the pitch so quickly. Wirtz can get up the pitch really quickly. Mm. All, all, all these things matter. So they've, they've got different ways of making you pay. And I, I think that's what makes them so compelling. And I think, again, it's such credit to Xavi Alonso because if you look at that defensive unit, from Radeski in goal, who's a good shot stopper but has a goof in him, 
yeah. to like the, the the back three of Tapso, Batan, and Kosunu. I mean, those three are all defenders who you say are good, but have got mistakes in them. Like it, it, it's not on paper something you necessarily trust. But as you say, Andy, they, they look so much more composed now. And you have to, I think you have to credit the coach a, a little bit for that, certainly. And staying with the Bundesliga, Jack is asking, what's happened to Union Berlin as the mm. bubble popped? So this is where I want to be like, maybe not people's favorite thing to talk about, but I want to, I want to talk about XG here. Because <laughs> Union Berlin finishing fourth last season was incredible. And what a story, what an achievement. But if you look at the underlying numbers of last season, there were some warning signs there. If you if you look at if you look at the XG, which is basically just a fancy way of counting shots, isn't it? It's counting shots and then weighting them according to how dangerous the chance was and stuff, right? That's a way of measuring how much you've created. They had the second worst XG in in the Bundesliga. Like honestly, only Augsburg created less than Union Berlin in terms of chances. Now, there's no rule in football that says you can't be efficient and take your chances when they appear. But if you, if over the course of a 34-game season you create the second lowest XG number in the league and still manage to finish at fourth, then a lot of things have broken in your favor. Put <laughs> that way, I don't have. They got lucky. The, I'm not saying well, not necessarily, but there, it could be unsustainable. Put it that way, uh, and. I don't have those numbers in front of me. I suspect there were a lot of one-goal wins in that season. Brian, can, uh, Andy can enlighten me. He'll remember that better than I did. But there were some ominous things about their numbers from from last season, which suggests that uh, that, 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 that maybe they were in this slot. Yeah, they were a bit jammy. Yeah, things broke in their favor, and then now they have the added burden of having to play in Europe. They've added some new players who maybe don't fit quite in as well as they did before and the games I've seen of them so far which is by no means all of them and possibly Andy I've seen more but I've seen a couple they look like they've lost a little bit of that counter-attacking strength they had they were so quick on the counter last season they were whenever they regained possession they went straight forward which I su- suspect is why they may have overperformed their XG a bit because a lot of anyway it's to do with how chances are point is they were very, very aggressive on the counter, and they just seem to be just slightly less sharp. Is that fair, Andy? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's unfair, but I think it's fine margins. Like, like you say, it's this um, concept that has survived for several decades in German football of what they call uh, Bayern Dussel, Bayern luck. Of they will they will find a way of uh, getting a win in, mm. in, in in the last couple of minutes of a game, no matter how well or badly they've played. It felt like Union had that for a lot of last season. And you're not meant to speak about it because it's a fairy tale, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it was quite 90s Bayern-esque how they could get results out of games that they weren't playing particularly well in. And I, I think you could say that they were certainly decisive in, in both boxes. I think there's something that, that Lars was saying about when they had that partnership at the start of the season between uh, last season between Geraldo Becker who's lightning quick and scored those two goals in the Champions League against Braga of course and uh, Jordan Sibachu then th- th- they look they look great now Jordan has now left he's he's, he's gone to Borussia Mönchengladbach um, I, th- I think that's a bit of a shame for them even though they've got other, other forwards in and you know there's no doubting the quality of um, Kevin Folland though he's a very very different type of, of, of striker more one that likes to drop into the the hole um but yeah betting in those new players is, is is different as well they've they've stepped up a level not just in terms of the champions league but in sort of in terms of the sort of players they're able to buy so they brought in robin gosens who nearly scored an equalizer at the end of the champions league final last season they've brought in um luca tussar 
who was bought by Hertha so they could qualify for the Champions League. Ha, that, that came around, didn't it? Um, and, you know, you look at other players that they've looked to try and remedy the fact that they don't really create that much in midfield. So Aysel Aydouni, um, who came in last winter, he, he's he settled quite well and he's, he's someone who can contribute to that. Brendan Aronson, who had a bad start, got sent off in his second game. He's someone who they, they hope can contribute to that. And one of the big misses so far, Rani Kadira, who knits mm. it all together, who stops them being vulnerable in bad moments in a game. He, he's not played and because uh, he's not been fit. And Kadira not being in, and Kadira was really, really close to a Germany um, call-up under Hansi Flick. I know people just look at him and, 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 and say... You know, he's, he's, he's the little brother. He's, but he's, he's been an incredibly important player for them. And him not being about is um, something that's been tough on them. Look, I, I think there won't be relegation trouble or anything. It's an unprecedented bad run. But they've not played terribly in all those games, just like they've not played brilliantly well in all of the, the, the games they had won last season. And even if you go back to the start of, of this season, when... Um, that they, they beat Mainz 4-1 right at the start of the season. And Mainz missed two penalties, for goodness sake. And Mainz have been propping up the table for most of the season. Is it safe to say, though, that the Champions League is a league too far for them? Not for them to compete in. I, th- I think in, in, in that group, I, I think, obviously, the losing that late winner to Braga is, is, is a blow. But I, I still think they could maybe get in the Europa League. But, you know, being in with Napoli and, and Real Madrid, I mean, incredibly tough. Yeah, lost their first two, though. And this and final question. Oh, hang on. Andy, you might want to put your feet up for this one. <laughs> it's all about Norway. Ah. <laughs> so, this is from Elliot. Uh, what's happened to Rose, Rosenberg, as we would say? Oh, that's a very Swedish one. Come on, I'm not sure we can have that. Rosenberg. Come on. Also, it's Rosenborg, so there's a mistake in the script here. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosenborg. Yeah, still very... Oh, God damn it. Com- completely Swedish. No, correct, but Swedish me, pronunciation. Folks. This is a Scandinavian joke. Not check. having this. I know. I Not know. having this. Shouldn't years and years of representing yeah. Norway in Europe have set them up for domestic domination. Yeah. How have they gone from there to struggling to make the top half in the elite series? Yeah, good question. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, so for those who don't know, Rosenborg won the Norwegian League 13 league years in a row. <laughs> 13 consecutive league titles they racked up uh, between 1992 and 2004, uh, which obviously did set them up quite well. And you'll remember, if you're of a certain age, you'll remember that they were in the Champions League group stages regularly and would occasionally bloody some some pretty famous noses in that uh, tournament. Um, last, last year, I actually spent a night on, on the town with, with one of the players from that era. And, and, and it's just, you know, it's, it's incredible. You know, they, they beat Real Madrid. Like, this is a pretty incredible thing for a Norwegian team You've to been do. living the life, mate. Yeah. Living the dream <laughs> yeah. and the life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so most of those years, they were under the... They were coached by a man named Nils Egen, who then achieved a kind of, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, Lobanovsky type of status, <laughs> where when he eventually retired, I think his shadow was still looming very much over the club. And when you have just such a towering figure in the club's history... That uh, for a while was still around in the, in the in the background. It becomes very hard for a club to find their identity uh, after this man is no longer there. And 
they've had success since they've won the league title a few times, but it feels like they've no, they've struggled to really find themselves occasionally. There are certain comparisons that can be drawn to Man United in England, the way they've struggled post Sir Alex Ferguson to find themselves, the way they've continued to spend a lot of money, and for a number of years, Rosberg had the biggest budgets in the league still. Um, but then after years of mismanagement means that they no longer, uh, I do believe actually Molde and Bode Glimt probably can both spend more money than Wolfsburg right now because of the success they've had in Europe and the players they've been able to sell. So, so right now they're having a really poor season um, and, and and they feel like a club that have just fully lost their way and, and they're really wrestling with this. To what extent should we be holding to the club's tradition that brought the club so much success? And to what extent do we need to be innovative and, and think in new directions? I think that can be really challenging. Andy, anything to add to the Rosenbori story? Um, well, what I would add is that there's a lovely statue of Egan outside the, uh, the, the, the stadium in Trondheim, mm. which I, I, I very much enjoyed on my visit there for uh, at the match a couple of years ago. On that note, thank you for listening to Ask OTC. If you'd like to ask a question on next week's show, you can contact us at any time at Dotton at Ibio, at Andy Brassel at Lars Severson and at OTC Pod, or you can email us otc at footballramble.com. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.